Hey, this is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today. I pray that today's message will not only challenge, but encourage and inspire you to see God's purpose for you. Enjoy the message. We are in our fifth week of this series, and I know, I know for a fact, just from conversations I've had with with many of you, that this series has been a little bit hard. Some of you have been like, kind of gutted by some of the things we've talked about, like, oh, especially the one we talked about about worship. People came to me like, wow, that was heavy, Pastor. Yeah, it's heavy stuff. If you're feeling a little gutted today by the word, that's a good thing. But today is your day. day. Today is the day for healing. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Do you know how beautiful and precious you are to God? Do you know how beautiful? And guys are like, I don't know. Yeah, you're beautiful. <laughs> you know how handsome you are to God? How precious you are to God? Hmm. Do you know how much he desires to connect with you? Like he wants to be with you. Do you today we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look into that a little bit, Okay. So would you with me just close your eyes? We're going to open uh, this, this teaching portion with uh, a prayer. Lord, I pray that you would reveal your heart to us today. Lord, your word is so good. It's that two-edged sword that cuts to the bone and the marrow. But Lord, if that's as far as we go, we're missing a huge piece. Lord, help us to understand today how beautiful and precious we are to you as we look to your word today. Build us up in your name. Amen. All right. Today's title is Beautiful Connections. And we're going to be in the book of Second Chronicles. We've turned the page from First Chronicles. Now we're in Second Chronicles. Just as a reminder, <clears throat> the original book of Chronicles was not two books. It was one. But now in your Bibles, it will be Second Chronicles. We're starting at the, at the beginning of that book. And the big idea is this, the story of the Bible is all about the union of heaven and earth and bringing man into a relationship with God, a beautiful connection, right? The word temple literally means holy dwelling place. So we're going to talk a lot about temples today, but I want you to catch three concepts, okay? First concept is that there's a division between heaven and earth, Okay, God, presence, and earth. Now, at the beginning, it was not like that. It was unified. And God's presence overlapped earth's realm. Okay? But because of the fall, because of our sinfulness, this connection was broken, which brings us to the need for temples. This, this place, this, this area where God's presence can overlap human existence, okay? And te- this, is, this is the a concept of a temple from pagan religion. I believe that pagan religions have hij- hijacked this, this form. But the idea is that there's got to be a sacred place where God can interact with humans because that's his desire. Remember I said earlier, he desires to connect with you. So temples became very, very important. 
this place. And, and in order to make that even possible, they had to go through a large grouping of this rigmarole uh, that they had to go through in order to cleanse this holy ground for that purpose. Okay? So what are, what are examples of temples? Well, the burning bush is an example of holy ground. When, when Moses came up to the mountain and the burning bush was there, uh, I want you to recognize the concept of fire involved, the presence of God. What did, what did, the, what did the voice say from the bush? Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. This is a dwelling place. This is God. Mount Sinai was another temple experience, again, accompanied by smoke and fire, right? The presence of God. The tabernacle was uh, a place that they could take with them that was consecrated in a special way so that wherever the Israelites went, the presence of God could go with them. And what hovered over the tabernacle? A pillar of fire and smoke. Okay? The temple is another one, and that's what we're going to get into today. And I'm going to read a large portion of Scripture with you, and I want you to see... (sighs) What goes in to building this temple? So 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. I'll give you a second to, to get there. Okay, verse 1 says this. Then Solomon began to build the Lord's temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. At the site David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. He began to build on the second day of the second month on the fourth year of his reign. So he didn't waste any time. He was ready to go. I mean, four years king, and he's already doing what he uh, was commissioned to do. These are Solomon's foundations for building God's temple. The length was 90 feet. Now, I'm using a translation that actually converted the, uh, the cubits into feet. So if it says something different in your Bible, this is the conversion, okay? The length was 90 feet and the width was 30 feet. The portico, which was across the front, extended across the width of the temple, was 30 feet wide and its height was 30 feet. He overlaid its inner surfaces with pure gold. You're going to see a lot of that. The larger room had paneled, was paneled with cedar wood overlaid with fine gold and decorated with palm trees and chains. He adorned the temple with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was of the gold of Perim, Perivim. He uh, overlaid the temple. I love this. It's like overarching. He overlaid the temple, the beams, the thresholds, the walls and doors with gold, and he carved cherubim on the walls. Verse 8. Then he made the most holy place, Its lake corresponded to the width of the temple, 30 feet, and its width was 30 feet. It actually, if you look at the dimensions, it goes into depth in other verses, but you look at the dimensions of the holy holy place, it's oblong, and then you get into the dimensions of the most holy place, and it's a perfect cube. It's this this, uh, symbol of perfection. Okay? So overlaid it with... 45,000 pounds of fine gold. Oh, my goodness. The weight of the nails was 20 ounces of gold, and he overlaid the ceiling with gold. 
Can you imagine? Can you just imagine walking into this place? I don't know if I I don't even I can't even imagine what that looks like. I mean, I haven't seen I mean, I have my ring is gold. That's about as much gold as I've ever seen in my life. Completely overlaid. Can you see the value and the and the care and the expense and the extravagance that went into this temple? I want you to notice that. Verse 10. He made two cherubim of sculptured wood for the most holy place, and he overlaid them with yeah, gold. The overall length of the wings of the cherubim were 30 feet. The wings of one was seven and a half feet, touching the wall of the room, and its other wing was seven and a half feet, touching the wing of the other cherubim, and that cherubim was the same exact size. So they, what happened is that with their, uh, with their wings extended, they covered the entire width of that cube room, and underneath that would be the ark. The wingspan of the cherubim was 30 feet, they stood on their feet and faced the larger room. He made a veil of blue, purple, and crimson yarn and fine linen, and he wove cherubim into it. In front of the temple, he made two pillars, each 27 feet high. The capital on top were seven and a half feet high. Okay, we'll stop there for a moment. I want you to notice the extravagance of the materials and the detail that is built into this structure. Now, what's not mentioned here is the actual exterior of the temple. The exterior of the temple was completely overlaid. You're going to think I said, I'm going to say gold, but it's not gold. Over, overlaid with Jerusalem stone. This is this white limestone. And it was so brilliant on the top of Mount Moriah that pilgrims who would come thought it was like a beacon because the sun would hit it with the gold, the gold um, tops of those pillars and in the, in the white limestone. It was like a beacon, and that was the whole point. Beautiful, beautiful. Inside, completely overlaid with gold. The furnishings were overlaid with gold. The utensils were made out of pure gold. And I, I just can't even fathom. It must have been absolutely brilliant to the point of overwhelming. I mean, you guys know my aesthetic. It's basically white and gray. A little black thrown in. But can you imagine this place just covered in gold? I think you might have an issue with how we're using the church's money. But can you imagine the splendor of it? It must have been just dazzling and almost like overwhelming as the light came in through those top windows and reflected off these golden things. Man. Beautiful. But this is what you need to understand. Now, on the beginning of this series, we read Isaiah's, prof Isaiah's vision of heaven, of the throne room of God, of the temple of God. This temple is a crude copy of what Isaiah saw in his vision. It's pretty cool. Turn to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 2, we're going to start there. It says this, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel 
and all the heads of the tribes, the elders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel in Jerusalem, to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the feast that he uh, is in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought the ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent, the Levites' priests brought them up. Now, just hearkening back to a couple of weeks ago, Uzzah died because they didn't carry the ark properly. Now they're doing it properly. The Levites are carrying it. Worship in truth means doing it the way God wants it done, not just the way we want it done, right? So they're doing, they're doing things right. That's a good thing. Um, all right, verse 6. And King Solomon, all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him, were before the ark. Sacrificing, listen to this, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they couldn't be numbered. Wow. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the midst of the holy place, in the most, me, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim made a covering above the ark and its poles. Verse 10. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests were present, uh, had con- uh, consecrated themselves without regard of their division. Now, I, w- I want you to understand what that means. It means this. There, the Levites had divisions, and priests had divisions, so it means they would be on duty at certain times. So they only had to be consecrated for temple worship for a period of time because it was very stringent. But none of them wanted to miss this. They were all there in full complement. So everybody who had ever had a, a duty or responsibility to work in the temple was there. They all wanted to be involved. So you can imagine the amount of people that were present and what it must have been like to see all of these people doing, I mean, with that many sacrifices, they would have need, needed that many helpers. Plus, we get into some cool parts next. It says, so they, they came out uh, without regard for their divisions. And all the Levit- Levitical singers, Asaph, Herman, and Judithan, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were tr- uh, with trumpets. Can you imagine this spectacle? And it was their duty of the trumpeters and the singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Do not tell me that worship has to be quiet. Don't tell me that. You got pictures all through the Old Testament of some exuberance. You get David dancing a jig. You get people singing at the top of their lungs. Can you imagine? Just put yourself in the place for a second. It must have been phenomenal. And when the songs were raised and with the trumpets and the cymbals and the other musical instruments in praise of the Lord, they sang, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house. Now this is I want you to, this is highlighted in my notes. Ready? The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. 
Remember we talked about earlier, the presence of God is always represented with fire and smoke. So that the priest could not even stand and minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Think about this for a second. God didn't allow them to do their job. He just wanted them to praise. They had to stop. It can't work right now. We better just worship the Lord. We can't do it. We just better worship. He's like, I got this. This is my house. You just worship. I can picture these guys like, I'm trying. <laughs> this would be me. I'd be the Levite, and they're going like, um, a little less smoke, please. I need to do my job. I could see myself being like, oh, okay. I have one day, one job to do, and I can't do it. because God says, no. It's not, the, it's not the time to work. It's the time to worship. My presence is here. It's pretty cool stuff. So the temple was completed. It was absolutely brilliant. They brought the ark of the temple properly. They brought the ark to the temple properly. They made massive amounts of sacrifices. They're like, we're not going to risk any more oozes. <laughs> we're going to work. Uh, some places they said they, they took a few steps and they'd, they, they'd sacrifice an animal. Then they'd take a couple more steps with the ark and they'd sacrifice an animal. They'd take a more steps. With the, that's how they did it. They got it to the place where it was supposed to go by consecrating the ground, holy ground. They worshiped with a large choir, loud instruments, and God showed up. Because the presence of God is most often signified by smoke and fire, such as the burning bush, the fire in the mountain of Sinai, pillar of fire over the tabernacle, and smoke that filled the temple. We understand that's, that was, that's for us. That's not for God. God doesn't, God doesn't live in, in temples, first of all. He doesn't live in smoke. He's not made out of some kind of smoke monster. He's, he hasn't made, that, was, that was for them to see. That was for them to go, okay, God is in this. God is doing something. We've done our job, and God is now residing with us. Things should have been pretty good after that. I mean, God is literally putting his stamp of approval on a building project that was years and years in making. Thousands of people worked on this, this temple. It's there. It's beautiful. God is in this place. Let's fast forward a little in the story. Just one generation to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, and see how things are going now that the temple is in Jerusalem. Second Chronicles chapter 12. When the rule of Rehoboam was established, and he was strong, he abandoned the law of God and all Israel with him. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, because they had been unfaithful to the Lord, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots and 60,000 horsemen. Wait, what, what, wait, what's going on here? These are God's people. They have the temple. Let me just explain it to you for this way. The temple of God is not a talisman that allows them to have victory. What did we say at the beginning of this message? What is a temple? It's a place where, that is sanctified and holy where God rules and reigns and allows human beings to come into fellowship with him. It doesn't exempt them 
from sin. It doesn't exempt, it doesn't make them, it's not a talisman that makes them, you know, successful. And we got to be careful how we treat God in that way. Well, let's see what happens. Verse 5. Then Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam and to the prince, uh, princes of Judah who had gathered in Jerusalem because of Sheshach and said to them, Thus says the Lord, you abandoned me, so I have abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. But the temple's here. You came in smoke. That's not what a temple is about. It's, that's not what it's about. It's not a talisman. It's a place for human beings to interact with the God of the universe. That's what it is. It's not anything more than that. Then the uh, princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah. They have humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but I will not grant them some, uh, I I will grant them some deliverance. And my wrath shall not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, they shall be servants to him that they have uh, may know my service and the service of the kings of the countries. He's like, I'm not going to wipe you out. But there's consequences. Think about this. The region of ground that holds this beautiful temple that they were so proud of and that God poured his spirit into at that moment is now being controlled by Egypt. They have control over it. So what is a temple? We have to understand what the temple is. It's just a building. It's a beautiful building. But that's not what it's for. It's not just a place. It's not an edifice to be worshipped. It's a place to come and to fellowship and worship God. God has said things like this in the past. He said this is Solomon. Excuse me, not Solomon, to Saul. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings? It's a rhetorical question. No! He doesn't delight in burnt offerings. How many bulls and goats did they slaughter? He doesn't care about that. He cares about this. He delights in obedience. He delights in fellowship. So he said that to Saul. And then we fast forward a little bit into Jesus' time, and the disciples are coming out of the of Herod's temple, and they're like, whoa, this is awesome. I mean, Herod's temple was rivaled Solomon's temple in beauty and definitely more in size. It was huge, expanded. And they're like, wow, look at this, look at that. This is so beautiful. And I can just picture Jesus over his shoulder, flippantly like, yeah, take a look around, boys. Not one stone will be left on another. This blew their minds. Like, wow. So they, actually, it, it, it bothered them so much that they took him aside later and said, what did you mean by that? Jesus said himself, he goes, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it. What does he even mean? Where the presence of God is, Jesus is saying, I'm it. I'm it. It doesn't reside in temples. When Jesus was asked about the value he placed on wealth, you remember that story? Where they asked him, should we give 
taxes to Caesar. <laughs> he just like roll. I can picture him rolling his eyes. Be like, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Gold, money, that's not important to me. He says, give to God what belongs to God. And in that moment, he says, he took the coin and he said, whose image is on this? And they said, Caesar's. Obviously, hopefully he knew that. Caesar's. And he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. What is he saying? Where the stamp of God's image is, you give that to God. What is that? Who holds the image of God? You do. That's what he wants. He could care less about the gold. He could care less about the Jerusalem stone. He could care less about, I'm telling you, wherever God's people worship God, it's holy ground. And then with the Samaritan woman, he said, a time is coming when it won't matter. He said, he's actually right. It's, a time is coming and it's already here. When it won't matter where you worship. But true worshipers will worship God, spirit, and in truth. Let me read to you out of Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. If you see any similarities. And it was filled, it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Remember we talked about how the, the presence of God is always, most often represented by fire or smoke, flames. He's consecrating his new temple. That symbol is like, yes, I am here and this is what's happening. This is my temple. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10 says this. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. This is akin to what they were trying to do on the way up to the temple. They were making sacrifice. Every step of the way, they make another sacrifice. This is what God asks us to do. He says, get rid of sacrifices and get rid of the malice and deceit, hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that by you, so by it you might grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by the people but chosen and honored by God. This is talking about Jesus. You yourselves are living stones, a spiritual house. You are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. That's Isaiah 26, 28. Verse 7, so honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbeliever, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. That's Psalms 118. And a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over, Isaiah 8. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. 
Do you see this? Israel stumbled. Why? Because they didn't have God, the temple? No. They stumbled because they took their eyes off of God. They took their eyes off of God. They took their eyes off of the one, the presence, the purpose for their lives. And that is to have communion with God. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race. Can I just, can I just stop you there for a second? Look at me. Look, look, everybody look up here. You. You. The one sitting in here today, you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. My first question today was this. Do you know how beautiful and precious you are to God? And I want to kind of quantify the answer to that by saying this. The splendor of the temple Not one stone. He was, Jesus was so unimpressed with it. He was like, yeah, it's pretty. It's not what I'm about. The temple he's building, he builds with the most precious stones that he can think of. And that's you and that's me. What he values is not gold. He values, when I said, he values what he stamped his image on. And that's what he wants to build his temple by. And that's you and that's me. He cares not. Listen, the same splendor of that first temple. It was overlaid with pure pavement. He doesn't care about gold. That's, that's road work material. He doesn't care about that. He cares and loves and values you and me. And that is incredible to me because sometimes I don't feel so valuable. Am I the only one? Sometimes I don't feel so valuable. Sometimes I fail and I fall. And he says, you know what? Come back. Repent. You are valuable to me. Ephesians 2 says this, verse 17. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. That word access, that, that word access it's so important. What is a temple? What is a temple? It's, a, it's an access point between God's realm and our realm that was fractured in the beginning. And God is bringing it and sewing it back together by his church, temples, little, little uh, areas of his presence, ruling and reigning and dwelling all over the earth through his new temple, which is made out of the most precious materials he can possibly imagine. We were talking in our study on Revelation the other day about the, about the, the new Jerusalem that's going to be built. And interestingly enough, just like the inner court of the uh, temple, the Holy of Holies, it's built, it's described as a, as a perfect cube. Now you're like, is it like a Borg ship or what? You know, this, it's, you know, 
much of it is foundation. And he goes into detail as to what the foundations are made of. I don't know if you have a house that has a foundation, but you never see it. It's completely underground. It never gets seen. And the things that he makes his foundation that we will never see are like things that we would consider to be valuable today. Rubies and gems and all these things. They're just foundation stones for his city. What is valuable to him is who comes in and out of that city. There is no more temple in the New Jerusalem because Jesus himself is present in the world. And we get to have, it says, people will come in and out of that place just having fellowship with Jesus. No, no barrier. No bulls and goats needed sacrificing. It's just going to be God's presence available. You know what I thought was cool we were reading the other day? It says, there will be no more sun because Jesus himself will be the light of the city. Look around the floor. What do you see? Shadows. There's shadows all over this room. I don't know if you, we're so used to them we don't even notice them anymore. Every one of these lights is casting a shadow. Can you imagine a place where there is no need for that? It it weeded me out. I had to think about it for like, imagine a world without shadows. That would be weird. We, we, right now, we would like, yeah, that's cool. But if there was none, you'd be like, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. That's my friend. I mean, it's so important. Peter Pan had to sew it back on. <laughs> Verse 19. So, you, so then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And in the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Listen to this, verse 22. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Can you see just a little bit more today how beautiful and how precious you are in God's sight? He could care less for the gold and the jewels and the gems and the sacrifices. He just wants you. You are his greatest material on which to build his temple. Did you realize that that's his, that's his goal? is to have fellowship with his creations and by the Spirit of God because of the death, burial, and resurrection and the outpouring of the Spirit, we get to enjoy that now. I have been tormented lately by this one question and I've talked to you about it already. And God talks to me this way. David boy, do you enjoy me? And I have been mulling that idea over of how do I enjoy God? And I'm telling you, every revelation has brought more freedom and joy in my connection with him. His goal is to build temples on this earth so that the vine can mingle with the terrestrial. 
and he's doing that in us. So enjoy it. But I'm not perfect. No, no, you're not. But you are loved. But I don't do everything right. No, no, you don't. But you are precious. So yes, this series has been a little convicting, but today I want you to go out of here knowing that God sees you as ultimately valuable, so valuable. And this is cliche. We all, I mean, we talk about this all the time, but so valuable that he was willing to give his life for you. Didn't do that for the temple. That thing got cast down. He didn't come back and like, stop. This is my temple. He didn't care about that. He's like, guys, take a good look. A few years from now, I ain't going to be here. I was riding to church this morning, and my daughter, my youngest daughter, was in the back seat. And we had a really cool time last night. I don't know about you, but in the fall, it's like everybody gets, like, cozy. And we all put, like, cozy clothes on, and we all got Afghans, and we sat on the couch. And our couch really can't fit five people, but we made it happen. I don't know how. And we watched the most amazing show ever created. Little House on the Prairie. I mean, that show, I, 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 that's the only show I cry. I mean, it's like, what the? I'm a grown man. So we had this moment last night. It was really cool. I looked over at my wife, and she's looking at me, and we're like, this is like a little slice of heaven. I'm enjoying God right now. And then this morning, my daughter in the car, she goes, I said, honey, what did you think about our time last night? She goes, oh, daddy, it was so fun. And then she, out of the blue, she asked me this crazy question. She goes, Daddy, how much do you think Mommy loves me? She was thinking about the night before, like, because she was cuddled up in, mom's, in her mom's arms, you know. She's like, how, how much? I said, Honey, I think she loves you enough that she would die for you. And she goes, What? <laughs> and I said, I would too. She's like, Die for me? She's like, you're not going to die, are you? I'm like, no, no, you're, you're getting off the topic here. Just That's how valuable our kids are to us. And what does God call us? Not just temples. He said, you're being brought into the family of God. You're his children. Lord, thank you so much for loving us. for seeing us as valuable even though we are we're tough cases sometimes Lord thank you for taking us at our darkest moments and refining us into something that is honoring to you that's what your Holy Spirit does so God I pray right now that each and every one of my brothers and sisters my friends here would understand no matter where they're at right now that you see them as ultimately precious and beautiful. Something worthy of building a temple out of. And that's your desire today, God, is to have fellowship with us. It's always been your desire, and you are the same God that you were before creation was creation. That's always been your heart. Help us to understand that we are 
the things that your image is stamped on that you find most valuable. Thank you for dying, but not staying dead, for rising and giving us a way to spread your presence and your rule in our homes, in our communities, and throughout this world. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are feeling less than valuable today, less than beautiful today. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to their hearts and let them know how you think of them. We give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you want to find out more about New Life Church, you can connect with us at discovernewlife.org. We hope to see you soon.